Welcome to Greeting Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And just when you thought the football gods could not invent a new way for the Packers to give us heartbreak in the playoffs, they found a way. The Packers falling at the Arizona Cardinals 26-20 to in a game that was absolutely unbelievable, especially the finish. I couldn't think of another game I had ever seen like it, and there were many layers to what happened on Saturday night, but... Man, that was a wild one, and part of me is disappointed that my favorite team had to be on the losing end of it, because if it was two random teams, it'd be one of the best games I ever saw. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing yesterday, too. I was like, man, if I would have just been watching that as a spectator, it'd been so great. I mean, even the steelers bengal game, you know, last week was incredible to watch, and this was ten times that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it still feels like a dream. It's hard to imagine that, that that stuff actually happened in that game, and that, like you said, I mean, the Seattle game last year, you felt it was like almost the most inventive, painful way you could lose a game. But yeah, this is probably not quite to that degree, but it's still, I mean, to finish like that and to lose like that is just, like you said, unbelievable. It's it's hard to even fathom. Yeah, and I'm glad we had a day in between because it's allowed me to settle down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I was really mad on Saturday, and I think I, it just felt so unfair to have that happen again after we just had that happen in Seattle, and I'm definitely backtracking from my claims that I would rather have a losing season. That's absolutely not the truth. I mean, seeing how bad the Bucks are when we had promise and the Brewers are going to suck for five years and the Badger basketball team might suck forever, I mean, I would much rather put up with this kind of stuff than be hopeless for months on end during the season, but... But the flip side of that is, oh, I just, it, it's such a, it, this game even in particular was so strange because it felt like they were both on equal footing. They played really hard and then Arizona was able to get back the lead in the flukiest fashion. They should have thrown two interceptions on that go ahead drive and it turned into a touchdown on a deflection. But then on the flip side, the luck it took for two bombs to Jeff Janis to tie the game with no time is as lucky as any Seattle Seahawks sequence I've ever seen. Yeah, you can get super mad at Sam Shields about dropping that pick on the touchdown drive, which I think we all were and couldn't believe it, I mean, being a former receiver. But then at the same point, you've got one of the top five corners in the league going up against Jeff Janis on a jump ball <laughs> yeah. on a Hail Mary. And then, again, basically another Hail Mary to midfield on that first one on that same drive. Yeah. To get both of those to Jeff Janis, of all people. I mean, that to them at the time must have seemed like the craziest, most unlucky thing in the world. Yeah. So, yeah, it kind of definitely went both ways. Yeah, Jeff Janis has four career receptions going into Saturday, and he had two this season, and he left the game with seven catches for 145 yards and two touchdowns. He was an elite receiver for a day. <laughs> he was, and we'll get into maybe some of the blame game, but that was one of the things that I was most angry about yesterday, is... The dedication of Rodgers and McCarthy to their admittedly successful system, but it's almost an obsession. If that guy has that kind of talent where he can do that against a pretty darn good secondary, including a, a jump ball against Patrick Peterson, it's how committed are you to the idea that practice habits are important and being on the same page with a guy is important? You know, not everybody practices like Jerry Rice, and I know Aaron Rodgers is one of the best, most dedicated practicers and studiers in the history of the game, but at some point, you can't be trotting out 400-year-old James Jones who couldn't beat me in a foot race when you have Jeff Janis on the bench because you don't think he's hitting the playbook hard enough. Well, you could see it in the game, too, even when Janis was making these plays and they had to rely on him. I think it was that pass in the end zone that Rodgers missed to the outside. Yeah. And and he comes back, you know, with his hands up, presumably to McCarthy or, or somebody else, just looking like, can you believe this guy? Like, he completely yeah. missed that route. He, he was so open, and that one yeah. made me so mad, and I'll, I'll let you finish, but yes, he may have missed the route. He was so open, forget the route, throw it to the man. Right. But, I, I mean, that's just the point. You feel like... It, 
they've been kind of holding him back here because they felt like they weren't quite on the same page. And you feel like when he's been in in the past, you've kind of seen similar things that he might have just been a little bit off. But I mean, the guy, if he's a guy who can go beat somebody one on one and clearly prove that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for them to hold him on the bench all year long when we've been decimated with injuries and haven't been able to get anything going, now to see that when he gets a chance is, is kind of painful to know we didn't let him play all year. Yeah, and and who knows? Maybe teams would have gotten some film on him and it would have slowed him down. But yeah, when you had weeks where your entire receiving core couldn't beat anybody man-on-man, you you had Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams getting covered one-on-one by safeties. You could have used a Jeff Janis to try some things. But, I mean, if you would have played Jeff Janis, it's not like you would have had the one seed or anything. So right. I I think we can let it go. It's a, it's a point of frustration, but maybe it's a learning experience for Rodgers and McCarthy saying, our system works, but it's not the be-all, end-all, and maybe we need to uh, be a little bit more flexible, especially in dire situations like they had on offense this year. Yeah, if you've got an athlete like that, put him out there. Yeah, absolutely. Or at least, you know, it does, he doesn't have to start, but have a package or two. I mean, it certainly would have worked better than their insistence on the one series of game with Randall Cobb at halfback. Well, and just the force feeding of Devontae Adams as well. I mean, they, they've talked about how good of an athlete it, he was, so they wanted to try to give him the ball as much as possible. And you feel like had you maybe substituted a guy like Janice in there, that could have yeah. made a, you know, a difference in the offense for sure. Repeated failures in games evidently is not in, as important as practice habits. And Devontae, I'm sure, looks really good at practice. Yeah, there's a probably a um, thousand receivers that are really good in seven-on-seven seven throughout the years that can't do anything on Sunday. But that's beside the point. So... This game is so hard to analyze, and you hit on it earlier that you're not as devastated as you were last year, and I certainly am not. I think the tease is what is so frustrating, because we expected to get pounded in this game, or at the very least lose, with the potential to get pounded, and... That is the point I wanted to come across because I was so mad at McCarthy and Rogers and all of these guys for the different things that happened during the game. And then when I was reading the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and Bob McGinn is incredibly negative talking about how McCarthy's let this team down and how they're such underachievers. And I didn't get a chance to read the article, but um, Gary D'Amato had an article on JS Online today that was questioning whether McCarthy could ever get this team over the hump. And it almost made me... I thought that was so unfair, even how I had been unfair to him on Saturday, even with that mentality, seeing that, thinking, okay, so the Packers were seven-point underdogs. Kansas City was picked by half of the panels to win, as was Seattle, a few giving Pittsburgh a chance. Seattle was down 21 to nothing at the half. Kansas City got completely outclassed. And the Packers losing even more starters, playing with their top two receivers having, what, eight? or 11 catches all year, and taking the Arizona Cardinals, who many believe to be the best team in the league, to overtime and almost beating them. Mike McCarthy can coach anybody. And I think maybe this, bizarrely, is the game that made me realize this guy is a hell of a football coach, and I'm glad we have him. Wow, I'm surprised to hear you say that. I kind of thought we'd be getting on the show today, and I'd be the positive one looking forward to next year. And you were, I know your tweets on Saturday and stuff where you were just sick of it and you wanted him to go 4-12 and 12 afterwards. Well, that's um, what Sunday's for when you get yeah, to watch right. Seattle get pounded and the Pittsburgh be hopeless and all that business. Yeah, so I, you know, I completely agree with you. I guess maybe I don't feel, it didn't sway me as much in McCarthy's favor, but I think in just this team in general, I, I felt pretty good. Like you said, they were so decimated at receiver. You're playing Aberderis and Janice, playing against a really good defense, and our offense looks as good as it has in, in a long time. Our defense was just filthy, especially the secondary until that overtime. Yeah. And a couple of drop passes for interceptions, but overall they were incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's hard for me to be too critical because I feel like they played their butts off and left absolutely everything out there. Mm-hmm. So although you lose, and you lose in a fashion where you had a miraculous play at the end or two of them, and then you end up losing in overtime, it's like, you know, you gave it everything you had. You you probably were there when you shouldn't have been, and, and you took this team to the wire. So I guess I feel kind of proud of the team and how they played. Yeah, I do too, and it, it, it took me the extra day, like I said, but especially with how much they struggled this year. And here is the caveat to what I said, though. I still am hopeful that they don't take what happened on Saturday and the way they played in Washington as we had some bad breaks and things weren't clicking in November and December, and the real Packers are the ones that were able to almost beat Arizona 
they should take pride in how they almost never get blown out. And the fact that they lose all of these games in the playoffs by these close margins is heartbreaking, but they're ne- they are never down 31 to nothing at halftime in the playoffs like Seattle was or you know Kansas City was down 21 to 6 at one point. That never happens to this team in the playoffs. But on the flip side, that is not evidence that your system is perfect. And it not only does that go with Rodgers and McCarthy in, as it relates to things like Jeff Janis, like we talked, and for trying to do some different concepts on offense like we've been talking all year, but that goes with Ted Thompson. Just because you had two almost rookie scrub-wide receivers pull out the best games in history does not mean that you should never look at free agency again <laughs> and all of that scared. kind of stuff. Yeah, and that, that's that's my biggest fear is that they're going to take this as – further affirmation that their system is great and they've gotten some bad breaks when the reality is you guys are so darn good that if you just would find a couple other ways to improve upon your team you could be greater than great yeah i think you said it perfectly i I can't add on too much to that because i think that we saw that this may be it's it's hard to say because this team in the playoffs looks like they could hang with anybody Mm mm-hmm but it's just like you know that they're not quite there. I mean, you know they couldn't go to Carolina next week. At least you don't think they could go there and win. I, I wouldn't no. feel confident in them going to beat New England. No. But I'm sure they'd stick right in there with those teams. Yeah. So I, I think they're super close to getting to where they want to be. But like you said, they've there's these small tweaks here and there that they've been unable to do that you feel like could just put them over the hump. Mm-hmm. You know, had you brought in a better receiver in the offseason or – you know, maybe they have to draft more offensive heavy this this coming draft or whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. change up the offense a little bit here. If you could just make a couple of tweaks, I don't think you lose and you're completely out of it to then because you did these little things. Yeah. But you could put yourself over the top like we did to get the 2010 championship by just a couple of those little things. Yeah, and you know, even as as you mentioned, maybe draft heavy on offense, maybe not go all in on rookies because you've addressed. So many of the problem areas over the years for this team has have been addressed solely versus the draft, and they largely have worked, but they got lucky this year a little bit. I mean, lucky's strong because they have a scouting department and they've had success, but for Demarius Randall especially and Quentin Rollins to a lesser degree and then Gunter, they got very lucky that those guys were as good as they were, and... They had a little bit of luck with Eddie Lacy. I mean, they've drafted well, but then you have the 2012 draft where they wanted to fix the defense 100% through the draft, and it was a disaster. So it's okay that if you need three new corners to draft two and maybe get a solid starter for a year through free agency, that's not going to destroy your salary cap. And 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 granted, I don't, I can't envision of who that free agent off the wire that would have helped them beat the Cardinals. But it's just. Don't let Saturday's great, great performance and the answer, the gut check. Everybody on the team did, but don't let that be the, don't let that convince you that your system just got some bad breaks and that if you did it next week, then then you'd be able to overcome it. Cause I don't think that's the case. Yeah, it'll be really curious to see how they handle this offseason because your kind of initial inclination, I think mine is too, is that they probably will feel that way. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. So, you know, if they come out and maybe sign a couple of guys, I might start feeling a lot better. But you just kind of feel that's the overall mentality of this team, and it has been for a while, that they just feel like what they're doing is, is right. And for the most part, I think it is the way to do it. It's just, yeah, can you can you do a little bit more maybe to get yourself over the hump? Yeah, and that will be the most intriguing thing of this upcoming offseason, I would say. All right, so now we've praised them. Let's bring them back down to earth a little bit. Uh, Once again, they failed in a lot of clutch moments, especially on the defense. It's hard to say the offense failed in the clutch. I know they had a four and out with the two-minute warning, but then you complete two Hail Marys. It's hard to to take them to task too much. Um, Rodgers was a little shaky again, but I would say, given the circumstances, he played pretty darn well. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It, the thing that worries me on that defensive side is how they can be so close to great and then somehow not make all of the most important plays of the game. And they've yeah, done that you, all year. You come down to just the one play that you completely blew it. They were so good all game, and then you all of a sudden have one breakdown where Larry Fitzgerald is wide open, and that's all you need to lose the game, and they did it. <laughs> and then it's Sam just... Shields tries to tackle Clay Matthews, and then Morgan Burnett gets epically stiff-armed and then i mean it was a horrible breakdown but there's no reason that that had to go to 75 it should have went for 25 not 75 yeah that's a good point too i hadn't thought of the fact that had they just tackled them where they all were kind of looked like bumbling buffoons out there (laughs) and missing them in in this you know 
30, whatever your old receiver is running by everybody. Yeah, I mean, you hold him to a field goal, you still get another shot. Yeah. So instead, he's down to the five yard line and you're screwed. You're, you've basically got no chance there. So yeah, it's uh, but I mean, yeah, you have the one breakdown and then just kind of like Seattle last year where you had these weird plays where these guys who played so good all game, like Clinton Dix in the end zone, all of a sudden couldn't cover a tight end on a huge lob pass or even knock it down. Yeah. You kind of had that again yesterday or on, on Saturday where all of a sudden nobody's covering their best receiver who's been lighting you up the whole second half and then nobody can bring him down either. Yeah. Hey, if we're going to take a really small, pathetic silver lining on that play, though, the guy who tackled him was Casey Hayward, who couldn't <laughs> tackle anybody two weeks ago. All right. So at least he might be improving, but he's he's a guy who might not be on the team next year. So today's not the day to talk about all of that stuff. But And Carson Palmer, probably the only spin move since high school that he's done to able to escape. And I didn't think he played that well, but he ended up with 349 yards and three touchdowns. Um, he, he did no, play. I, I thought he looked bad. I, I yeah. thought that was part of the reason why, you know, where you talked about the Packers not taking 100% stock in this being, you know, that their system is working is because I thought you caught Carson Palmer on an extremely bad day. Yes, I would agree. Whether it was that injury that injured finger or something else that was having him off, but he was just giving you the ball. Mm-hmm. And he ended up with 349 yards, like you said, but three touchdowns and should have had four or five picks. Yeah. And missed a lot of bad throws that he should have had. So I think had he been on like he had most of the season, I mean, that could have gotten out of hand. Well, and that injury you mentioned, so they showed a zoom in on his hand, and in week 16 when he tore us apart, he wore white tape. And then he had the red tape. He had the red tape against Seattle, and then he had the red tape again against us. So if you want to beat Carolina, I would suggest switching back to the white tape yeah. on his finger. Um, that's going to be my key to the NFC Championship game. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what color that tape is before the game, then, before we put the money on it. You should. The Vegas lines will swing epically once yeah. they see what color tape that is. Um. The overtime thing is weird. Uh, they have now lost five straight playoff overtime games in just the last 13 seasons. For reference, only three other franchises have been in as many as five overtime games in their entire history. There are seven teams who have never played an overtime game, and the Packers have lost five of them since 2003. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Aaron Rodgers is now 0-7 all-time in overtime. Four of those seven, he's never touched the ball. That's got to be so frustrating for him. And on one of the other ones against Arizona, he touched the ball and gave it away on the first play. (laughs) Wasn't it the first play or was it the second play, I think? Second play. On the first play, he should have had a walk-off touchdown. But he should have had a third play because they grabbed him by the face mask. Yeah. Just bizarre. Ugh. I don't... I don't even know. This is just... This game puts me at a loss for words. I mean, and that's if you're a longtime listener to this podcast, it's pretty evident that that's hard to do. It it was just so weird. And I guess if you're not a fan of the Packers, you feel like you know maybe Arizona rose to the top because they're just the better team. But they did everything right for three or two and a half quarters, and then it all fell apart again. And it, I don't know. It's I don't know. I mean, we we already went over that. It's you you're, you get so caught up in how that fell apart in overtime and how they started letting that offense get going. But like I said, they weren't down thirty-one to nothing, and they weren't down twenty-one to six. Like two of the teams that were favored to win this weekend were. Yeah. Okay, so the catch rule still stinks. Um, yeah, that was that was probably the thing that made me the most angry in that game. That was absolutely ridiculous. And I think the problem is not well. The catch rule is obviously obviously a problem, but to me. Just as big a problem is that is exhibit A in the fact that these referees either need earplugs or they need to be not on site because both the Larry Fitzgerald catch and the Des Bryant catch were both called catches on the field. Des, as the road team, was overturned. Larry Fitzgerald, as the home team, had the call stand. That was my first thought, too. It's like this game has been going against them. It, it was an obvious drop. If Des Bryant's pass was a drop, it's, it was almost identical, both kind of reaching out on their way down and, and drop it. So you cannot call one a catch and the other one not a catch. It, yeah. it was weird how similar those two were. So you just kind of had the feeling. I mean, it, it seemed like a lot of calls had been going against you, and they were just going to do it. And for them to come out and, and to call that a catch, I, I still can't believe that. I haven't heard anything on it since, but it seems – Pretty obvious according to the rule that it was not, and I don't. That one didn't end up hurting them, right? Because I think they got a pick on that drive. 
Um, I think so. Was that the yeah? Because that was at the end of the third, and then Randall got the pick. But just the thought that you could do that—I mean—that just infuriates me that you could possibly call that a catch if you don't call the other one a catch. Yeah, and I mean everybody knows that rule is terrible, but the the solution is always. Well, you know, they should just make it more common sense. Well, how do you put that in the rule book? I mean, I don't know what the solution is other than make the catch not reviewable and make referees use their brain because that worked great for like 70 years. Yeah, if, if I'm McCarthy, I'm, I'm literally going up to that ref on that play and saying, hey, this is the identical play to the Des Bryant play last year in the playoffs. Yeah. It's not a catch. <laughs> just like say it with that. He's like, that wasn't a catch, so this isn't a catch. And you just like maybe plant that in their mind a little bit that, hey, I guess we have to call this not a catch. Yeah. I, I I almost wonder if they wouldn't tee him up, but, you know, they would just ignore him, or then they'd call the next Packer one like that, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, coach, see? Not a catch, just like yeah. you asked. I don't know. Maybe I just think referees are more vindictive because I only had, you know, minor referees' uh, experience interacting with them, and they all seemed vindictive to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's so frustrating. So I would assume they're going to try to address it in some way in the offseason, but, again, I, I'm not sure – how or what? Yeah, they've already got those teams set up or whatever. I think Chris Carter's on it. Other guys are on it. A bunch of broadcasters and whatever referees are on it. But like you said, how do you put that play in the rule book? Unless you basically just say if he has two feet down and has possession, that's it. That's a catch. I mean, you yeah. have to make it that cut and dry. Otherwise, a play like that really can't be described in a rule book. What would you say if he has two feet down, has control, reaches out because he's gaining for more yards, but hasn't quite made a move yet, and the ball bobbles a little bit on the way ground? That's not a catch. Yeah, that's exactly what we have now. can't break it down that way. Well, and if you take the suggestion of many of comments beneath NFL stories, it should just say, it's a catch, and if you don't know it's a catch, you're just an idiot. So maybe they should put that in the rule book, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep. I think it's probably because I listen to stupid Mike and Mike in the morning. It's like Did that look like a catch. You know, if you were in a bar where they say it's a catch, then it's a catch. It's like yeah, put that in the rule book and see how that works. It's gonna yeah. be even worse. Well, if if we're going by the barroom mentality, then can every penalty be proof that the Illuminati is against your favorite team? Because <laughs> that's usually the feedback you get there as well. Yeah. The other major rule-type thing that has been coming out of this game is people calling for a revision of the overtime rules. And I would imagine most of those folks are Packer fans, given that the Packers have lost their last two playoff games without ever getting a chance to touch the ball. And, I mean, I don't know, Matt. To me, I think this is as good as overtime can possibly be without asking guys to play another quarter and kill themselves. And my question to those folks who think that the overtime system is flawed as is, what is your solution? Because if it's the college one, I think you're way off base. Yeah, I could maybe get on board with the college, but I, th- I think you're right that I think it's fine how it is. I, I kept hearing that a lot today, and I was like, well, that seems kind of silly because we didn't have to allow a guy to go 75 yards on a catch <laughs> and then score a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, our defense have been playing well all day. If they get the ball, you hold them to three and out, you get great field position, you kick a field goal, and you win it. Yeah. So, I mean, it could really be a benefit to the defense if you can actually stop somebody, whereas two years straight we've allowed a receiver to go deep on us and just kill us with one play. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not supposed to do that. So it's not like we played our best <laughs> in overtime and still got screwed. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we allowed them to do that, and that's our fault. So I think it's fair that we lost. And it's not like these were both 56 to 49 losses. It was 22 to 22 last year and 20 to 20 this year. So clearly both defenses were playing relatively, if not very well. So yeah, you, the Seattle game, there's nothing in the overtime rule book that says it's expected for a team to give up a third and 18 conversion and then a 30 yard touchdown pass, nor is it expected to have a guy get a breakout sack for a dump pass that goes for 75 yards. Right. That's on your defense. And I, I don't think I, there can't be, since they changed the rule, that many teams losing without the offense touching the ball. I'd be curious to know what that is. Yeah, yeah, just the Packers. But yeah. it, yeah, if you, those plays hurt you in regulation just like they would in overtime. It, it seems like the argument against it is like, I don't get how, like, those plays shouldn't count against your team if you allow that to happen. I, I don't know. I don't 
I've heard some people say go back to sudden death, which obviously doesn't fix that issue. It's the same. I've heard people <laughs> yeah. saying you got <laughs> you got to go to college for sure is mainly the argument I've, I've heard. But I, I think I still prefer what we have now to college. But you seem adamant against that. I guess what's your biggest flaw of the college one? I feel it's too far from what actual football is. Yeah. Because it de-emphasizes the defense so much, especially in the NFL with the, sh- the narrow hash marks and the ridiculously good kickers. You're in field goal range on fourth down. You're not going to get the crazy games. I. I can't imagine a a kicker ever missing a field goal. And I don't even think it would be good football because if you're playing from the 25-yard line in the NFL, so it would have to be at least the 35 or 45, if you're playing at the 25 in the NFL, who would do anything but run three times and kick a field goal? Or run a very protected play-action pass where if it's not there, your quarterback eats it? Because that's a 32-yard field goal. At the, or no, 42-yard field goal. Most NFL kickers are hitting that 80% of the time. So I don't think it can work in the NFL. And it to me, it's a bit like having... Like, I don't like the shootout really in hockey either. Or, you know, I don't watch soccer as much as you do, but I don't really like it in soccer either because it's not the game that got you to overtime. Yeah, it, it does seem pretty unnatural. I agree with that. And I, I also don't like how kind of inflated the scores get and just the continual like you said in this case continual overtimes you know potentially over and over and over again you can get to four and five overtimes so yeah Mm -hmm. i guess i i would think that the current system's better i don't have a better proposal but i guess i don't have a problem with it either yeah um i would be interested to see what the proposals would be but i think that the solution for this if you're a packer fan is play defense like you had the four quarters that got you to overtime uh, I I think that's maybe it, I don't know. It's it, as a fan, you want to think it's not the fault of your favorite player, Clay Matthews or Sam Shields or I don't know. Nobody's favorite player is Morgan Burnett, but Julius Peppers just completely blowing it on the biggest play of the game. Yeah. So I I don't think they should change it at all. And hopefully, I would think that the Packers wouldn't lose in overtime three years in a row. I guess the only thing left is the Stanford band or to have a some ridiculous, you know, blow of 45-point lead or something. That's probably what will happen to us next year. Yeah, you just wait. They'll have something crazy in store for us. Oh. What was it last week, I think, during the Redskins game? You texted me and said, oh, they're going to lose this game. And I said, no, no way. They'll win this. And then they'll lose in heartbreaking fashion <laughs> against the Cardinals. You did say that. I'll totally it. called it. So I, I just, I'm not going to count anything out at this point. Who would have thought you would have ended know a, a hail mary into the end zone to tie it and then lose an overtime you, you couldn't have even made that up so something weird could happen who loses after throwing a hail mary i know that's that's the most heartbreaking part had they you know incomplete on the hail mary it's easier to swallow but you feel like after you do something like that you like deserve to win like the cardinals should have just called it for us <laughs> yeah they should have like, deferred that magical that never happens in football you've done it twice in a year and it's jeff janice and a crazy throw by rogers and then you just all right, three plays and you're done, or whatever, four plays and you're done. It just yeah. it doesn't feel fair. On that Rogers note, man, he's frustrating, as is evidenced by my reaction to a lot of stuff that's happened this year. But from a athletic standpoint, he is unbelievable and, and might be the best ever because everybody criticized Detroit, if you remember, because they didn't rush him. They rushed three guys at him. How can you let Aaron Rodgers rush three guys and throw that ball? Bruce Arians sent the house at him, and he escaped and then threw it off balance for a Hail Mary for a touchdown. Yeah, right at the receiver, too. That was unbelievable. When when they sent all those guys, I started feeling really good because you just like, well, there's got to be nobody in coverage left. Mm-hmm. And they still did, actually, better than Detroit did, had the coverage more well locked down back there. They still had a couple guys on Janice. He just made an unbelievable play. Yeah. But if Rodgers is not you know, well getting hit, twisting, in throwing it that far off, you know, a back foot, which is unbelievable. I don't know if anybody else could have done that to get it there on target. Yeah, I that was ridiculous. So, oh, man, that's the kind of – I think that game will still be remembered. And if they win the Super Bowl next year or the year after that, then this will start to get a lot of play. I think the, the end or the epic kind of tragic loss – I mean, the the immaculate reception is played over and over and over, and people forget that at home the Steelers lost to Miami the next week. <laughs> so I, they didn't win a championship after that, and they ended up winning a bunch. But um, I don't know. It, it, it'll be hard to forget that game. As, as bitter as it is, I think Seattle is still going to be the ultimate heartbreaker, and I think as time goes by, um, this one is going to be easier to accept as a classic that you actually have somewhat fond memories of, more so than the 
I, I don't think I'll ever accept last year's championship game or the 2007 7 NFC championship game with any rose-colored glasses. Yeah, I might put like 10 games in front of this one on the pain scale, really. In, yeah, 4th and 26. Year, yeah, yeah. After last year, I, I didn't want to do anything with the Packers. I didn't want to listen to anything. I didn't want to read anything. Whereas now, I kind of already want to go back and watch that game just because it was so anxious what was happening. I felt like it's kind of a blur, and I want to go back and, you know, Rewatch everything with a, a more calm eye and kind of see how everything went down. Mm-hmm. Where I would have never done that last year. I haven't watched a second of that Seahawks game since then. Yeah, nor have I. How much is that feeling helped by the fact that Seattle lost the next day? It, it definitely helps because I think we would have felt pretty confident going home against Seattle, who hasn't looked that good. But I feel better today knowing that Carolina won because I don't think we would have had much of a shot going there. No, I would agree with that. So it's almost, you feel like, yeah, you would have won, but, you know, the end result probably still wouldn't have been what you wanted and would have hurt even more because you were a game out. Yeah, and I wanted to bring that up. So I, my psyche was helped tremendously by Seattle losing to Carolina and seeing Carolina basically pulverize Seattle and then play prevent for a whole half. Um, so now, after a 0-4 weekend, Road teams in this current playoff format, which has existed since 1990, are 27 and 77 in the divisional round. So that's why I guess I feel better about this than I felt about last year's game. It's one level before, obviously. You didn't have the big lead. But I never really expected the Packers to win the Super Bowl or go to the Super Bowl this year. In the same way, I wasn't worried like a lot of other people seem to be, that Seattle was going to go to the Super Bowl because it's just so ridiculously hard to win three road games to go to the Super Bowl, as evidenced by this weekend. And a little side note here. So the big thing today is Tom Brady is going to his 10th AFC championship game, which is a tremendous feat. But here is a little known fact. Aaron Rodgers, 7-6 and six now all-time in the playoffs. Brady is 22-8. and eight. Rodgers is 4 and 4 on the road, Brady is 3 and 3 on the road. Brady gets to the AFC Championship game by not having the letdown in November or December. I looked it up. Aaron Rodgers' average record as a starter since 2009 is 11.07 wins, 4.93 losses. Tom Brady's average record is 12.14 wins, 3.86 losses. So a shade better than 12 and 4. Yeah. It's a game better. Well, the average record of a team with a first-round buy in this format is 12.5 wins. You need the buy. Tom Brady is 10-1 and at home in the divisional round. That's why he gets to the AFC Championship game every year. and Or 10-1 and in the divisional round overall. He had one road win against... Um, um, I can't remember. That that number's not right, because now I'm just remembering other games. But anyways, I'm a positive of the 15-3 and three at home in the playoffs. That's incredible. So, yeah, I, I don't know how you fix that, but I don't think that Tom Brady is great, but his greatness comes during the regular season where he doesn't have the letdown to the Lions or the Bears. He's only one game better than Rodgers, and that's enough to get him a first-round bye every year so he doesn't have to go on the road at Arizona and throw Hail Marys to get to overtime. Yeah, and people talk about how his division's so weak, but really I wouldn't say it's that much different than the NFC North that we face. I mean, you have one team that seems to pop up here and there as decent, but overall, I mean, we've been much more talented than anybody else in the division for a while now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, But yeah, like this year you have three losses against your division at home. You just can't do that. Brady would, that would never happen in New England. No. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, it sure would be nice if this team was locking up home field or first or second seeds every single year. You'd feel a lot better about it. Yeah, and and that's got to be the key. And obviously you're trying to win every week, but the reason Brady's great is he's great during the regular season too. And just to throw some other numbers, so Joe Montana, who is in the, you know, that's why I don't really want Brady to win the Super Bowl this year. I don't really care one way or another, but I've heard so many comments from the national media saying that, well, if Brady wins this year, he'll have five titles and then the greatest quarterback ever debate's closed forever. And I I don't want that to be true because... I don't think, A, I don't agree, but B, I don't want to have people roll their eyes at you when you try to make an argument for somebody else. Sure. Um, which might not happen because Montana's 4-0 in the Super Bowls. But anyways, Montana was 2-5 and on the road in the playoffs and 10-2 and at home. So that's 
the big difference. Even Brett Favre, who was 13 and 11 in the playoffs, was 9 and 3 at home, and he was 4 and 0 at home in the divisional round. So you gotta get home games in the divisional round if you're gonna win a bunch of championships. Is what sure. I'm trying to say. And if you're a Peyton Manning fan and you want him to beat Tom Brady, um, Manning is three and one in the AFC Championship game and two and one against Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game. He's owned everywhere else by Brady, but in the title game, he's got the edge. Huh? Interesting. Yeah, yeah it, it'll be nice to see. You would imagine this is the last time we'll see that, so it's kind of nice on Peyton's last hurrah. They get to sneak by a battered up Steelers team, and even if maybe they get blown out, you at least get to see Peyton Brady one more time in a meaningful game. You would hope this is the last one. Like, <laughs> I think they're both great, and I'm excited to see that. And that now that Seattle is out, my bitter fan is gone, and I'm just happy to see that probably the four best teams in the NFL are duking it out for the right to go to the Super Bowl. And as someone who is very protective of the Super Bowl and hates when you get crap teams like the Giants in it, I'm glad that we're going to have a really, really good matchup for Super Bowl 50, no matter what happens. But... um I'm getting a little tired of Brady and Manning. I mean, it's getting to Cowboys. Um, it, it might have surpassed Cowboys 49ers as the most two dominated conference in the history of the league. And the Cowboys and Niners were winning the Super Bowls too in devastating fashion. So maybe that changes it a little bit. But it's been Brady, Brady versus Manning at this level pretty much uninterrupted for 10 years. And it's impressive and interesting and you know, you see that with other sports where they talk about the rivalry between Magic and Bird. Yeah, it was exciting, I'm sure, but at some point, there's 28 other teams in the NBA at the time, or whatever, 26 other teams in the league there, and there's 30 other teams in the NFL. It's it's interesting, but I'd like to see some other stories told as well. Yeah, I, I could agree with you there. I, I think one thing that might help is that Peyton changed teams. I think if it was Patriots Colts still, like I'd probably be a little sick to my stomach having to watch that again. That's a good point. But I think the fact that he's on a newer team that hasn't won a Super Bowl in a while, and he's you know was out for the whole second half of the year with injury and has somehow fought back, it's kind of gotten a little vigor back. But even maybe last year, had this been the matchup, I might have been a little sick of that too. So. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think those things kind of help a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. If uh, Larry Bird would have been a Milwaukee Buck or yeah. uh, Atlanta Hawk or something, yeah, that would have been fun then. Okay, so let's talk about the other games pretty quickly. Um, all four road teams, I mean, the Steelers put up somewhat of a fight. Um, that Seattle-Carolina game was just terrible. <laughs> like, I don't know. It, was, it didn't feel like it had much drama to me. I... Down 31, I still didn't think there was much chance that Seattle was going to win, even as they kind of put up a fight. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It, it's kind of crazy that it got down to seven points. They were up, what, 31 to nothing at one point? So Yeah, at the half. Kind of strange, and I think that we'll probably get into our picks here, but I think that might be one thing that scares me a little bit about Carolina is this is not just a one-time thing. This seems to keep happening to them where they just they're, they show how good they are, mm-hmm. and then they just let all these teams back into the game. They did it against New York. They did it against us. They've done it other times, too, and then to the 10th degree yesterday. Yeah. I mean, let Seattle all the way back into the game and almost end up letting that thing get tied. So they got to be careful. They're going to play probably their two best uh, opponents they've faced all year coming forward, and you feel like if they do that, they're going to end up losing. Yeah, I, you bring up a great point. Um, I don't know. I, part of it, though, the score looks like it was a seven-point game, but, well, I, I was going to say it, it, Seattle hit a field goal with, what, like 45 seconds left, and then, but they did the same thing to us last year, and then we didn't go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, so Yeah, they lined up for an onside just like they did against us, and they could have very well done the exact same thing. Oh, my gosh. I was sitting to myself saying, if they recover this onside kick, I don't know if I want to watch yeah. anymore. <laughs> well, we both agreed. And it'll probably be forgotten, and maybe is already two days later. They were thinking about not calling that Jeff Janis catch a touchdown, even though it was. And after the Larry Fitzgerald thing and the homerism that I was worried of, I was 100% convinced at that moment that had they overturned that, I was done with football. <laughs> I don't know if I would have stuck to it, but that's how I felt at that moment, and you seem to be the same way. Yeah, oh, I was completely on board. I kind of forgot about that, too. But, yeah, I was certain they were going to overturn it at that point because we had felt like we were getting screwed the whole game. And then I was certain that I was it, – It's at the time, I was like, yeah, I'm not watching football ever again. I, I don't think I could ever completely cut out the Packers – but I feel like something like that having happened, I could definitely cut out a lot more football out of my day because <laughs> I would have just felt so devastated. It might be a better 
thing for my life had it been overturned. You know, I wouldn't be obsessing and watching these games so often. You know, I'd, I'd have more balance. But, you know. Who needs that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Balance is overrated. Um, Real quick, we don't have to go in-depth into the Steelers and Broncos or the Chiefs and Patriots, but which team was the most impressive this weekend and which team was the most disappointing? Hmm. That's tough. Um, man, that, that's a really good question. I think most impressive, I'm thinking either New England or, or Carolina. Obviously, had Carolina hung on the way they did, I'd probably pick them. But I, I think I'll actually go New England just because they had a pretty firm grasp on that game throughout. looked pretty good against a team that had won, what, 11 or 12 straight. Yeah. So I, I guess they'd be my number one pick. Gronk played really well. So I, I guess they're my best. And then for disappointment, it's hard to pick the Steelers because they were so banged up. It's hard to pick the Chiefs because I guess I didn't really expect them to win. I, I guess I'll pick Seattle just because you start the game like that. You If they they had been in it from the get-go, they had a very good chance at winning it. But they came out, mm-hmm. didn't even show up in the first half, and got blown out of the water. Yeah, I, I would say Seattle's definitely the most disappointing to be – the def- two-time defending NFC champions and have the best defense in the league from a point standpoint three years in a row, which I don't think had been done since like the 50s, and it just get totally pulverized is a shock. And I know Carolina's got the highest scoring offense, but if you look through the history of the highest scoring offense against the highest scoring or the best scoring defense, the defense almost always wins. So that's kind of a shock to have that happen, especially a team you've already played before. Uh, So I would say they were pretty disappointing. Um, I will agree with New England and say that they were the most impressive because of their utter disregard for the traditional way to play football right now on offense. They, yeah, they're, they're always so creative. They don't care, you know, what they've done all year, whatever they need to do to win it. I mean, they just start slinging it and just force feeding it to Edelman mm-hmm. and, and Gronk, and it worked out great. It worked for them. They didn't have to run at all. Yeah, and they don't have a quarterback that has any threat to run. So I don't understand how it works. Like, I, I don't. I don't know. I know Tom Brady is good, but that's not a good enough explanation for me. I would love to see somebody break down and say, here's a guy who's a statue in the pocket, and they don't need to run at all, and they still just pick people apart with a 100 straight 14-yard passes. Well, and I think one of the main reasons they've been so successful is because of the quick release. I'm, I don't know what the number is. I'm sure Brady's got one of the quickest releases in the NFL. I think it's around two seconds or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, they've had Troy Brown, they've had Wes Welker, they've had Julian Edelman. These guys are just are quick. They're not super fast or athletic even. I guess Edelman is probably at the top of that list. But he just – all he has to do is shake a guy one step. He's open. He gets the ball. I mean, that's a pretty simple offense and kind of what we were hoping the Packers might try this year a little bit. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have the guns to do it in the receiving core. Yeah. So they really – I mean, if you got Gronk or Edelman or somebody else like Amendola in the slot that can just shake somebody for a step and get open, that's all they're doing. It just – two-step drop release first down every single time. I mean, you don't have to have a running quarterback or a running game to do that. You just have to have one guy that can get open. And I guess when you put it in those terms, then it is not so mysterious because that is that is the offense that put Dan Marino in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, once he was never a runner, and then he still was going to the playoffs almost every year after he had torn his Achilles and could hardly walk to the huddle because he just would release the ball so fast, and he was intelligent enough and savvy enough that if the pocket did collapse, he could make one subtle move and still get the ball off. So maybe that's the exact same thing they're doing. Yeah, Brady couldn't do what Rodgers is doing, you know, doing a big loop-de-loop in the pocket every single play and hoping somebody gets open down the field. I mean, it's just like the complete opposite of that. He doesn't have to move a step. No. It was funny, though, when he tried to take off a couple times in that game, it's like, oh, my gosh, like how is somebody this unathletic <laughs> playing in the NFL? Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure my dad, who you know, is not an athletic guy, could get out there and outrun Tom Brady like that. I mean, it was Ugh. just it's so strange to watch somebody in football pads run like that. If we ever get any kind of pull on Green and Gold Forever, I want to arrange that. My dad versus Tom Brady. <laughs> That's exactly how it will be billed. Along, it'll just say Matt's dad versus Tom Brady. <laughs> Odd Fox, Fox Sports One probably they would take a chance on that. I would, I would guess. Okay, so we'll make our picks in a little bit. Um, I did want to address some of the comments that our fans had made. So real quick, I want to fire up Facebook and see if anybody else uh, contributed to that. So um, we did get another one here. So. 
you all had really good points, but they also were kind of not in the best format for me to read here on a an audio podcast. So I would suggest everybody who listens, go to the Facebook page, like it if you have not, and read the points that we have from Daniel Johnson, Eric Hansen, and Corey Bend, uh, some of our, our best fans and most loyal. So I appreciate you guys for um, commenting. But real quick, so Daniel Johnson had some great points, and um, what I wanted to bring out is he was saying how he hates – seeing sports media say Aaron Rodgers isn't clutch because of that game or last year when it's not his fault if he doesn't get a chance, which I don't, I haven't listened to anything because I've kind of avoided anything but local sports because I don't want to hear about, you know, the failings and stuff. I don't know. I just am not in the mood for that. But if anybody accuses Aaron Rodgers of not being clutch, I've accused him of that. And I think at sometimes it's deserved, but almost... Saturday is not even close to the top 30 games that you could use that as, a, as an example for why Aaron Rodgers isn't clutch. He had, I think Aberderis had eight catches this year, and Janice had two. And for him to put together that kind of performance and have two of the most remarkable throws ever and then lose without touching the ball, I don't know what he was supposed to do at that point. Play safety and intercept the Larry Fitzgerald ball and run for a touchdown? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's not one that you could put on the argument or resume for Aaron Rodgers not being clutch. I thought he played very well and looked sharper than he had in a long time and, and hit these guys that shouldn't have been on the field, you know, according to what we've seen all year long, and, and made them look very good. And I think he had a lot to do with that. So I thought he played very well. I got nothing against him in that game. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, though, oh, Daniel Johnson brings up, it was nice that the NFL got all the footage to air Super Bowl one, but then they bleeped it up by having people talk over it the entire time. Did you get a chance to watch it yet? I haven't. I did watch. Uh, I got through the intros, which were cool, when they showed all those guys running out and pausing in front of the camera and facing it. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that part. I did. Um, but when I saw the panel was led by like Chris Rose and some other guys, I was like, oh, no. But I didn't know that they were going to talk over the whole game, so that does disappoint a little bit. Were there natural announcers on there, or was it, would it just be silent otherwise? No, there. they had the actual radio broadcast from Super Bowl One playing, and you could hear it, but I'm not exaggerating when I say maybe 10 to 15 plays were heard without that panel talking over it. Ugh. It was terrible. They had Fred Williamson, the hammer, come in there, and basically he was tra- talking trash about how bad the Packers were, and they didn't prepare because they knew how terrible the Packers were. And it's like, you got knocked out cold in that game and lost by 25 points. <laughs> what are you talking about? And you're in a crazy old man. This game was 50 years ago. Like, yeah. ugh, gosh. It, it was... It was a step below infuriating as a fan who's been wanting to see that game for years. Yeah, that's disappointing. You hope that they release it again. I'm sure they will. That won't be the last time we see it, but without all those buffoons talking over <laughs> it. I'm, I'm still going to watch it and give it a shot, but I guess I'm looking forward to it a lot less. It would have been cool had they just played it, you know, as is with the radio broadcast and said nothing. Just let us watch it like the game. Yeah, and I don't know what fan that format appeals to. If you are a big enough fan of NFL history that you'll spend a Friday night or spend DVR space to watch a game from 50 years ago, surely you're a big enough fan that you don't need a panel from today talking a bunch of nonsense over the actual call. Like, is there somebody that's like, well, you know, I don't care at all about anything that happened more than four years ago, but I sure do like Chris Rose, so I'm going to tune into this game. Yeah, I, yeah, that seems like a really strange. And none of the guys on there were were real noteworthy, were they? I I, no. I remember seeing them, but I don't remember anybody else who was even on the panel. Well, they had a panel that was very, very closely tied to Super Bowl one. They had Chris Rose, Steve Mariucci, Antonio Freeman, oh, yeah. Terrell Davis, Willie McGinnis, and then two NFL Network guys whose names I can't remember. I mean, if you're going to put, like, Al Michaels or something like that to kind of talk about it or somebody cool like that, I, I could maybe deal with that. But I don't want to hear any of those guys talk at any point in time, much less over, you know, a game we've wanted to see for a long time. Yeah, or dig out John Madden. Get him on there. Yeah. I mean, that would have been worth it because he's at least interesting to listen to. It's not this kind of milk toast studio analyst that we have. Yeah. 
anyways, yes, I, I was incredibly frustrated by that, and I apparently was not alone because there were tons of articles talking about how awful that whole experience was. So hopefully they've learned their lesson, and uh, next year if they decide to show Super Bowl II, which is another game they have in the archive that they haven't shown yet, hopefully they just show it for what it is and don't have a modern panel ruining it. Okay, and then Eric Hansen commented. He said um, the referees, he thought at first, were not the greatest, but then he said there were some no calls against the Cardinals too, and he thinks the officials probably went into this one and just said, hey, let's just let them play. It's the playoffs, which uh, helped me change my opinion of these referees, and once I thought about it, I think, Eric, you're right, that they didn't really call much of anything in certain areas. So. Yeah, and I know that uh, you're usually the ref complainer, and I usually just kind of say whatever it happens, but I, I really felt while watching that game that you, they were just out to get you, and I, I know that's not the case, but it just sh- sure felt one-sided, and I don't have the, the penalty total in front of me, but I would bet it's pretty heavily weighted against the Packers. It actually wasn't, and so oh. I looked that up too because I obviously felt that way. I always do. It's like, the world yeah, hates Green Bay. Every single game you're complaining about, and I just say whatever, but I actually felt that during that game. Well, I kind of, if I am the Bruce banner version of eric right now the game day version is the incredible hulk so yeah, it's pretty frightening yeah so i i was sure that they were screwing us but i think it was like seven to five or something like that so it wasn't bad um and then eric hansen at the end had some interesting things here i still don't know what to make of this season the Packers looked like a Super Bowl contender in some games, and then in others they looked like a 4-12 and team. As a result, I don't know how to feel about this team going forward. It wouldn't surprise me if they went 8-8 eight and eight or 13-3. and three. I could see either one happening. He asks us where we stand on these things. When it's all said and done, he's not heartbroken by this season as I was by others, and he cites 97, 07, 11, or 14. Going into this game, I didn't have high expectations of the team, and I don't think they would have won the Super Bowl. He said a friend of his said that if your team won the Super Bowl every year, it would be boring and you wouldn't appreciate that. And so that gives him some perspective, and we certainly are better off than our division rivals. So I agree with that. Um, you at least win one every five years, though. Then I, yeah. <laughs> like every selfish, two. Let's I don't be need to honest. win one every year, but give me, you know, two a decade. Every, every other year would, yeah. would be fine with me. Um, I don't know what to expect from this team next year. I guess, to me, it depends on how well this young secondary develops, if they can hold on to a couple of key guys, and if Jordy Nelson is back to old Jordy Nelson and not some lesser version of Jordy Nelson after the injury. If if he's back to 2013-14 Jordy Nelson, there's no reason why this team shouldn't be an 11-12-13 win team next year. Yeah, agreed, but like you said, you could definitely see them be lower, and every year so far, we come into the regular season with a monster injury, it seems like, so that completely can throw your predictions out the window, too, so, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't see them going any lower than eight wins, unless, you know, something really major happens, but I, I could see them getting 13 if, if everything goes to plan, too, so, yeah. they're somewhere around there, I think if I had to predict now, I'd say probably 11 and 5, I think they could definitely do that, I, I still think they're a very good team, and you get Jordy back, you get those young corners, another year of experience, and, and off-season under their belt, I think you could have a really good defense. Yeah, but if you go at 11 and 5, that's not good enough, you gotta get 12.5 wins, so you can get that's that, true. you need the first round by, whatever it takes to get that, that was the most frustrating thing about this year for me, um, not the most, but the most frustrating thing was the offense disappearing. But another frustrating thing was something we speculated on earlier in the season was we had beaten Seattle and we had talked all offseason that they have to beat Seattle so they get the edge and the tiebreaker. Little did we know that the edge and the tiebreaker would make them the fifth seed instead of the sixth seed. They almost have the Dallas Cowboys problem times a whole division right now. They could never beat Dallas with some really good teams in the 90s, and it kept costing them chances at championships. And now they can't beat the NFC West Every time they think they surpass one of them, a different team from that division, or now Carolina as well, comes and ascends and surpasses them. So, you know, you got to get better across the board. But I guess the whole thing is you got to have thinking next year. Your goal has to be at least 12 wins because you got to get a first round bye. And 12 wins this year wouldn't have been good enough. So, no, it's it, it's tough. And. Corey Bend, um, you remarked on yours uh, after we started recording here, so I'm going to try my best to paraphrase it, but he said um, he's not too bothered by the game. Um, the loss in Seattle last year was much worse. Had they advanced, I would have definitely 
expected them to beat New England last year. Uh, most season, a team that struggles as much as this one is dismissed long before the divisional round, which um, he's looking to next year with hope. As frustrating as this team has been to follow, they still won 11 games and went to the playoffs. Jordy's going to be back next year, and so apparently Corey is hopeful. And I wasn't on Saturday, but I think today I am. So what about you, Matt? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm definitely hopeful, looking forward to, you know, if they can build off this going forward. But also, I just have to say, I, I, before we wrap up here, too, I, I think we've both been a big fan of Larry Fitzgerald over his career. And it's kind of nice, at least, that the guy that does that to you is him. Yeah. I mean, if, if that were Cam Newton rolling into the end zone and dabbing on you and whatever, dancing in the end zone. or, or Ripping down like all that. of your fans' signs. Or, yeah, Doug Baldwin doing something in the end zone. Like, at least it's, like, a really cool guy who's been there for a while and you really want to win a championship. So mm-hmm. I, I couldn't think that way that night. But now it's kind of like, yeah, all right, at least if it's somebody, I could probably – I'd choose him over almost anybody. Yeah, I'm rooting for a Broncos-Arizona Super Bowl at this point, I think. Sure. Um, not Nothing too much against Carolina. Although Cam Newton apparently threw a 12th man flag. Yeah. Um, some fan might have handed it to him, but it's – it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. I mean, yeah, it's not the first time he did, has done that either. I, I know there was one thing, a, a video of him trying to grab a flag a couple of weeks ago, and he like fell on his butt while he was trying to rip <laughs> it out of the fan's hand, which was pretty funny. But I think yeah. he does that regularly. Which ugh, that stuff is not cheap, Cam. So I hope somebody in the security staff is throwing it back up to its rightful yeah. owner because that stuff irritates me to no end. But um, I, I really don't care at this point. I think all the Super Bowl matchups would be good. I really like Bruce Arians. And I like his style. And they asked him, I don't know if you were watching halftime of the Carolina-Seattle game, but they asked him where, who he would like to play and where for yeah. the conference title game. He's like, I would love to beat Seattle in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I love how he just says what he thinks and he doesn't sugarcoat anything. And um, especially Larry Fitzgerald, as you mentioned, um, I... You know, whatever. I, I don't think there's any great fan base left on the NFC side, but whatever. I, I think it would – they were close a couple years ago, so it would be nice for them to wrap up some unfinished business with a few of those guys. Who's going to win those games, real quick? Um, I th- I think I'm going to stick with Carolina, although I think they're very vulnerable. I Just with Car- Carson Palmer playing like he has the last couple of weeks, I, it's hard to really pick them. I, I think Carolina's just a little better overall. And um, i I got to go with New England. I just – I'm scared of Peyton being, you know, on offense for a whole game and not being able to put up points against New England as much mm-hmm. as I want him to get a, ch- a shot at one more. Yeah, my preferred Super Bowl, as I said, is Denver against Arizona, and I think your Super Bowl of New England and Carolina is going to happen. Uh, yeah. I don't see Denver winning. I was hoping that they would look like a better team with Peyton at the helm and that they would just run the ball like crazy and that their defense would get, be completely shutting down a depleted Steeler offense. And... You know, they were in the runnings for my most disappointing team of the weekend. I, I didn't think they played that well. So I think New England will take care of them. And I don't know. I'm 60-40 thinking that Carolina will win. I wouldn't be surprised either one there. But, uh, yeah, I think Carolina will win as well. I wanted to talk about the L.A. stuff, but we don't really have much of a chance. But it's possible that going into next season we could have the L.A. Rams, L.A. Chargers, and San Antonio Raiders. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I really the the Rams thing doesn't bother me much, just because it's not like they've been historically St. Louis. So I'm okay with that. They're not a real historic franchise, even though they've been around forever for something. I mean, they yeah. never win. <laughs> it just well, and St. Louis like Rams has never sounded right to me. When we first yeah. started watching football, they were the Los Angeles Rams. They were that way on all the old tapes and video games we had. And so the L.A. Rams still sounds more natural, and St. Louis Rams always sounded awkward. San Antonio Raiders, I would take a lot to get used to. Yeah, that, that'll be weird, and I, I really don't want the Chargers to leave, even though they'll be cl- pretty close to home still, but it'd be kind of nice, all, as unlikely as it seems, if those two stayed put. Yeah, it sounds like there's almost no chance that the Raiders will stay in Oakland, and at the very least, to retain the name Oakland Raiders, they would move to Santa Clara and share the sta- Levi's Stadium with San Francisco, but that's an sure. outside chance. Apparently, Mark Davis owns land between San Antonio and Austin, and his lease is up with the... Oakland Coliseum so he can play in the Alamo Dome in 2016 if he wants so it'll be interesting to see what happens so thank you everyone for um, following us this season and listening to us and interacting with the page but the best thing about the Packers losing is that the Goldie Awards will be coming up Oh, that's right. I don't know if you saw what happened last week. There was this huge controversy because so many radio stations and TV stations were saying the big awards 
the nominees are going to be announced this Thursday. And so millions across the globe tuned in, and then they announced the Oscar nominees. When everybody was expecting, oh, they were expecting the Goldies. I mean, there were riots in several cities. So the Goldies are coming. Um, I'm going to prepare the ballot. I, I was actually looking at last year's ballot and it made me realize how much f- more fun last year was than this year. But still, that disappointing season or not, the Goldies must proceed. And they're never disappointing. No, the Goldies are probably, what, it's probably the best hour of sound you'll hear in your life. Never. Yeah, I would say. Okay, but seriously, everyone, uh, thank you so much for the support this season, and uh, keep in touch with us over the off season. We'll have a couple more shows as the playoffs go on, and we'll have the Goldies as well. Um, so if you want to hear any of the archives throughout this crazy, crazy season, you can go greengoldforever.podbean.com. You can also go to our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and watch me go crazy during games, Green Gold, <laughs> Green Gold Forever at Twitter. And I would like to give a special thanks to Ty Collins and KZ Radio for once again uh, letting me go on the radio and uh, have a whole lot of fun talking about the Packers most every Friday. So um, for, well, Matt, do you have anything else you'd want to say before we wrap up this final game version of Green and Gold Forever this year? No, I don't think so. I'm ready to put an end to it, put a period on the season, and just move on here. Yeah, I think that's what we'll all have to do. So uh, for Matt and Altoona, I am Eric and Appleton. Once again, thank you so much for the support this season, and we'll see you at the Goldies. Take care, everyone.